This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few minutes, Ben and I will welcome Stephen Bennett back to Vancouver Consumer. Stephen is a career tradesman with years of teaching and hands-on experience who works with Mid-City Plumber and who's back with us for our third Christmas as a present to you. Our phone lines are wide open for your calls on how to fix just about anything in and around your home and Stephen will happily send you in the right direction to get things done properly. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Voters here in B.C. have rejected a proposal to switch to a system of proportional representation to elect members of the legislature for a third time, prompting all three parties to declare electoral reform a dead issue. The current first-past-the-post system received 61.3% of the votes cast in that mail-in referendum. Proportional representation got 38.7%. The 1.4 million voters cast ballots by the December 7th deadline, and that represents a turnout of about 46% of eligible voters. Clearly, not many of us were ready to join Premier Horgan in a leap of faith. And how is this a consumer story? Well, who governs us has a lot to do with how and how much we consume. A new survey by the Bank of Canada suggests overall business sentiment is a bit weaker, but continues to be positive. Plans to increase investment and employment, often supported by sales expectations, are widespread, especially in the service sector, says the bank. The survey results come ahead of the central bank's next interest rate decision set for January 9th, when it will also release its updated outlook for the economy. Over the next 12 months, companies expect sales growth to stabilize, while those linked to Western Canadian oil prices and to housing in some regions, including ours, expect demand to weaken or remain subdued and sales growth to moderate. Analysts say NAFTA no longer part of the deal, but the weakness in oil prices was enough to send the Bank of Canada's Outlook survey to less rosy readings in this fourth quarter. But there were other positive signs. Order books remain decent, investment intentions solid, and hiring plans are healthy. Statistics Canada says sales at cannabis stores in the first two weeks after legalization totaled $43 million. The agency started collecting data for in-store and online sales from cannabis retailers as of October 17th, when it all became legal. The first set of data was released yesterday as part of StatsCan's monthly retail business figures and only included two weeks and didn't include any breakdowns on how much of that $43 million went to governments in the form of taxes. Statistics Canada says different retail structures in each province and territory affected cannabis availability across the country and says retail figures will vary as new stores continue to come online and the marketplace evolves. Recreational pot supply shortages have been a persistent problem since legalization. 
And this week, the Prime Minister called the supply shortfall the biggest challenge associated with the change. And then he added he expects the whole thing to disappear, as in the problem, within a year. Edibles have yet to be allowed to be legally sold, but Health Canada released draft regulations for the sale of edibles on Thursday. That'll become legal no later than next October 17th. And if you want to, to input to say uh, your piece on edibles and how they should be presented in the marketplace, uh, the... Uh, Uh, Public input is welcome on all of this until the 20th of February. And the BC Lottery Corporation is bringing in Vegas-style betting into hospital maternity wards. Huh? The Vancouver Sun reporting playnow.com, the BC government-owned gambling website, is taking bets on which hospital BC's New Year's baby will be born in. As of Thursday morning, BC Women's in Vancouver, the odds-on favorite to welcome the first baby of 2019 at 5 to 1, followed closely by Surrey Memorial Hospital with odds of 6 to 1. The 2018 New Year's baby, a girl, born at Surrey Memorial. The 2017 first kid, a boy at BC Women's Hospital. Uh, Lowest on the odds uh, chart, East Kootenay Regional Hospital in Cranbrook, St. Joe's General in Comox, and Penticton Regional Hospital uh, all have the worst odds of 51 to 1, meaning there's a less than 2% chance that the New Year's baby will be born at one of these locations. Hey, who needs Team Canada and the World Juniors? There are baby births to bet on here. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. Merry Christmas to all. And uh, we say this because our Christmas gift to you for the last two years has, uh, well, we're about to repeat that for the third year in a row. And welcome back, Stephen Bennett from Mid-City Plumbers to the show. Hi, Stephen. Good to see you again. Good to see you and the listeners. Ah, well, it, and uh, well, you've, got, you've got quite a story to tell. I want uh, You were on the national news. You had this bizarre episode with WestJet when you were on vacation. Uh, I want you, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. But first and foremost, you <laughs> You're here as our guy. Uh, Lots of our NW listeners remember Shell Buzzy from his glorious days on this radio station. Shell was one of those guys you could call up, and he just had an answer for every problem you can imagine. Well, friends, Stephen is in that very same category, uh, and it's uh, this. This is the reason he's back for the third year in a row. And Stephen, last week, we had in one week. A month's worth of rain. We had all of the rain we usually get in the month of December last week. And we had some major league flooding issues. I would imagine in your capacity there at Mid-City Plumbers, you've been just overwhelmed with flooding issues. So what? What about, what is all this? What's the big damage? Not the wind, because that's a whole other scene. You lost half your roof in <laughs> I Burnaby, lost didn't my you? Roof. Yes, I that, did. But this, now let's just talk about the water damage and all that water all at once. Well, first of all, I say that's this is uh, in my 35 years out here in Vancouver and uh, working in the industry and plumbing and heating. This is probably the worst I've ever seen. The amount of calls that flooded this, flooded through our office and the amount of people that we could not help was just a just an idea of just the volumes. And it was just it's just a lot of storm system issues, uh, maintenance of the storm systems, different different types of storm systems that have been designed since the turn of the century here in Vancouver, and uh, a lot of people flooded. So the best that I could do was offer assistance and how to reduce 
reduce the flooding damage immediately okay. and different tricks you can do in order to prevent that. And for listeners out there, you know, you know, pay attention to this. This is really important if you want to save your home. Um, you know, when you're having a heavy rain, as much as we had, the amount of leaders that came through the system, mm-hmm. number one, the city systems get hydraulically overloaded. But then if your system has any deficiencies into it, if it has any root growth, uh, broken tiles, anything of these sorts, it's going to cause eventually this grounds become saturated and on and uh, the, the systems that had the most problems were the ones that are I call uh, combined, where they had the upper rainwater leaders that come from your gutters, taking 100% of that rain that hits the roof of your house right. and drops it into the drain tile to the footings. Now, when it goes to the footings, that's just a weeping tile. They're flat, it travels around, usually goes to a sump, or there'll be a connection that goes off to the city. Okay. And back in the day, they didn't put cleanouts where they should have put cleanouts. I can guarantee you that, and a lot of technicians listening. Well, they, had, they, they changed things. The mid-80s was a kind yep. of a turning point in terms of dra- household drainage systems, right? Yeah, absolutely. What was the old system? Because a lot of the, people living in old houses this, around Metro it's Vancouver. It's the old systems that was the worst this year because of what I'm trying to explain about the rainwater leading being forced to the footing. So you're not just getting the weeping and the, hydro, and the uh, hydraulic or hydrostatic pressure that's coming through the soils. You're just dumping liters and liters of fresh water on top of it, and it couldn't take the volumes right. out. So the best thing I could advise people to do, and it worked a lot for a lot of people who bought them time, was immediately disconnect your rainwater leader from your tile. doesn't mean rip it off the house. It means generally right before it goes in into the ground, there's usually a little piping adjustment. You unscrew it, and then you put that pipe and set it on a 45, and you would probably pick up some big old piping, which is a plastic flexible piping from Home Depot, what have you. Cut it into, into pieces about six feet long, and just have it travel away from the structure, a minimum oh, three feet. So this is the down pipe, right? That's that, that, uh, from the That takes the water from the gutters down to the to the to the ground level, right? And a lot a lot of the time, just before they get to the ground, they got a kind of a little angle to them, right? That's would that be yep. where you would interrupt the flow of water and yep. put that pipe? So what you want to do is take a a, a a plastic pipe that you buy at, at uh, Canadian Tire or wherever, yeah, and yep. and uh, you want to get the water flowing that much further from the house. Yeah, don't let the water go down down through the through okay. the into the drain tile. Stop it from doing that. Take that pressure off your footings, off the off the weeping tiles, and have it discharged temporarily away from the structure, sure. knowing that you have a problem and you have to address that problem. The weeping tiles themselves should be able to handle what's happening unless the, the entire system's already too far gone, too much damage, and too oversaturated. But at that point, you've just, you're taking all that hydrostatic pressure off your footings, and by discharging the ground three feet away, it's going to absorb into the soil, but you're not going to flood. And right. now it gives you time to get technicians, another plumbing company over to take care of your problems, you know, clean them properly. And we use uh, different technologies. Back in the day, it was always strictly cables. Now we use hydrojetting. So we bring in high pressure jetting, mm. so it it's it's doesn't do the damage to your drain tile, especially if you're old and brittle. It scours, it blows through, and then we can do a video inspection to actually see if we have to use a cable. But there's pipe, if there's root growth in the pipe, or we can locate exactly where the problem is. If we've got something completely collapsed, we can locate it so it can be dug up and repaired. If I live in a house that's been built since the mid '80s. Uh, what's the difference in terms of the drainage stuff going on around the house? Obviously, it's a better system than the old one. What's the difference? The, the difference on the, back in about 1986 to 88, there were changes in Vancouver and very smart engineering involved with it. And what they did is uh, they, they changed the code so that the upper rainwater leaders, which is coming from your gutters, travels in a solid piping system, PVC, and goes to a sump. 
And so there'll be a sump will have two entries into the sump. One is your lower perimeter drain tiles, which is for weeping. You can see the water enter it. Right. And then you can also see the water pouring in from the rooftop. And then it travels and that gathers up the mud and debris to be sucked up one day by a tanker truck and kept clean. But there's also goes passes through a backwater valve and travels into the city sewer system. Okay. So that way you can see the elevations. And, and that's the greatest place. If that becomes an issue traveling to the city. So because if the city mains are under a lot of hydrostatic pressure themselves, it's going to slam that valve shut. Your water will not be able to travel out through your sump, and therefore you'll see it rise. Or if there's a blockage on the city side, or you know, are your line traveling to the city. So what you can do is drop a pump in, and you can pump yourself up and keep your basement dry. So in these calls that you had last week, and you mm-hmm. said you were overwhelmed, and I absolutely believe you. Oh. Was the issue, Stephen, flooded basements mostly? Oh, absolutely. It was terrible. I felt, you know, that it crushed my heart to see family homes just completely wiped out. And we're talking, not talking a couple of inches. We're talking six, eight inches deep. Everything backed up. Sewer systems, everything backed up. And there's nothing. You and what, do. what's the remedy? Uh, you just obviously have to pump it out, so you've got to go yep. to some rental type place yep. and, and rent a heavy-duty pump? No, any pump, will, any pump will work. You can buy it, buy them and have it a backup plan for yourself. Pick them up again. Home Depot, Canadian Tire, wherever you feel that it's comfortable, and just get yourself a four-tenths horsepower, or just a tiny pump that will pump it out and keep up the flow. Now, a lot of the older homes that didn't have these internal sumps, they had everyone we build now is external, but the older homes had had all internal sumps. If you don't have an internal sump, then you know that that water's traveling off, teeing off the house somewhere, and there's no clean out. When you've got a house that's built and you know that you do not have an internal sump, which you can't put a pump in to bump out and keep yourself dry, then I would recommend getting onto a contractor, open up your stairwell, and actually building in a, a sump area. It just doesn't have to be big, right. just enough to put a pump in to keep that water level below the footings, and you have a backup plan. So, Stephen, if you if you have a flooded basement, yep. and a lot of us have the furnace in the basement, yep. is there any danger? Would the flood, could the flood, for example, extinguish the pipe? Pilot light in the oh. furnace. That's pretty given, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's done a lot. And of the hot water heater right yep. beside it. Same thing, right? Yeah. You go eight inches, you're already at the water heater flame. You're putting it, putting the gas out on it right away. You're causing damage to it. If the water gets up into it, then you've, you've got tremendous insurance costs. And a lot of insurance companies, I mean, you can buy policies, I'm sure, out there. Like I bought for my, health, my house in the past where I have, they call it you know, groundwater that comes into the structure. You have that protection. But if you don't have you know, the insurance, this is coming out of your pocket mm-hmm. and it's, it's not going to be cheap. Okay. Yeah. So now, uh, assuming let, let's just, I have a couple of questions here. Once the water level, once you find a way to get the water out of the basement, uh, with, with some kind of pump that you've uh, rented or purchased, right. uh, now you've got your furnace back and you've got to deal with carpet and all the other moldy issues. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a minute, but I'm talking about relighting the hot water heater and the furnace. Should we try to do that? Or should we just call hydro or Fortis and say, my, uh, my pilot lights gone out. I don't know how to do it. And can you get a guy over here to do it? Is that, is, is that recommended? I don't want to mess around with a, a natural gas <laughs> furnace that may blow my brains out as I'm sitting there with my little barbecue long-nosed lighter. Yeah, here, here we go back to that question, making sure you have a right qualified person on your doorstep doing the work. That okay. plumber has the credentials to so do So call it. a pro, call right? Call a pro. And the water's down. It will assess it very quickly whether how much water got to the furnace or the controls, if any at all, and restart it once the water level's down. 
Okay. Yeah, All right. So uh, that's not something the uh, uh, individual homeowner, yeah. unless they have a gas ticket. Uh, <laughs> the, the, in which case, knock yourself out. Yeah. Otherwise, call a pro. Call right? a pro to do it. Make sure everything's safe. Make sure it's good. You know, there's a lot of uh, Fortis BC programs going on right now, again, with uh, making sure that you maintain and service your appliance. Maybe that's the time you got to service your appliance. Ah, okay. Right? But again, the real check, the real, the real things that the listeners should listen to is making sure you've got a backup plan. If you don't have the external sump and you don't have an internal sump and you have no way of putting a pump in, think of the back stairwell in your basement, going to your base, prepare, open it up in the summertime, put in gravel, drain rock, tie the lines in to that point where you have, you can actually drop a pump in there, lowering the hydrostatic pressure below the floor so you do not have an emergency. Right. You don't have damage. Right, but we did, I mean, it was an extraordinary um, amount of volume of water that oh. we had last week. It was just nuts. Yeah. And, and kind of atypical, yet here it is, Vancouver, where... Gosh, you know, it rains an awful lot. Those, I mean, those of us who live here, uh, are you surprised sometimes at how few of us have a plan B for a, a super abundance of rain? Yeah, I had a lot of great, great people that called and took great advice, followed through and called me back and said, yes, it worked fantastic. Thank you so much. A lot of, pe- so a lot of people lost their power here recently. Sure, that, absolutely. that really affected when this windstorm came up and took out so many power lines, trees falling on homes. You bet. A tremendous amount of people called because their their systems, some of their homes, sanitary as well as storm, were pump reliable. Right. So they, they had no backup. There's What do I do? Well, the best thing to do, I recommend, is always have a small, tiny generator. You purchase them again, Canadian Tire, what have you. Very quiet ones as a backup plan for those pumps that you lose power. You have power to those pumps to keep your home you know, safe and dry and, and, and save a lot of money. Only, only a couple of seconds before the news break, uh, in terms of buying the right generator, you want one that doesn't necessarily have to power the stove and the TV no. or whatever. You want a small one that's just going to take care of the pump that's going to drain the basement yeah. in an emergency. Yeah, you see them in camping sites. Very very quiet, ultra quiet. Neighbors will love you. All right. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this soggy Saturday afternoon. It's a six-degree day. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by Stephen Bennett, our third Christmas in a row. Our present to you, Mr. Bennett, and your calls. And Pat in Vancouver has been very patiently waiting through the entire news break. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, I live in a 1926-year-old house. Okay. And uh, this is the first time the water has been, as he says, eight inches deep. It had been the uh, water before, but, you know, dispensates over time. So I want to know, I don't have a sump pump, so what should I do? Uh, do you have, uh, in your house in 1926, uh, before that they used to put in big, large boulders and didn't have drain tile systems at the turn of the century. But if you have a drain tile system, do you have an internal sump in the house? There would S-U-M-P, sump. I have no sump pump, no nothing. Okay. Okay, you have no external sump, nothing at all? Nothing at the, all. Okay, then what we got to do in a situation like that is, first of all, is, is you know, we want to find from the, uh, from the city of Vancouver, get all your sewer, your water, and your storm locates of your property. Because if you have a separate storm, connection then it's something we can we can uh, access fine by using video inspection dig it up install a clean out and clean your lines blast them properly to the city to ensure that they're flowing wide and open the other thing you do is exactly what i've told the listeners to do is have a backup plan where you take your your lower stairwell going to your basement open that that stairwell up and actually install a miniature little tiny sump in there enough for a pump to go in so that in such a case that when you when after your system has been cleaned if it ends up being a backup of any sort you've got a backup up plan. You can just pump it up onto the ground. Pat, is the water still in your basement? 
Yes, a little oh. bit, but I know that it's not a cleansing thing, meaning sewer or whatnot. I know it's yep. the perimeter drains. Okay. And it doesn't. I don't have a stairwell. It's kind of um, a cement, kind of a uh, slant down to the basement. So that's why I was when you're making talking about sump pumps yep. and where to put it. Um, that's not going to be. We, well, I don't think so from a SharePoint point of view. Well, after the show, you can you can uh, you can send me an email, uh, okay. and I can come over and take a look at that for you and just uh, and assess the situation. But in the meantime, I would contact the city of Vancouver and mm-hmm. see what service connections you can find on record, and mm-hmm. make sure you have them there when when we come in to assess the situation, that we can actually uh, give you options and uh, go from there. Okay, then. Uh, do you have a phone number? <laughs> Go ahead. I sure do. It's it's seven seven eight Pat seven seven two seven seven two eighty six seventy six. Thank you very much. A pleasure. And Thanks, uh, by by the way, the the website if you want to check it all out is midcityplumbers all one word midcityplumbers dot com Pat and the phone number and and the email and all of that stuff is right there on the website. Let me follow up on on Pat's uh, uh, a question because. Um, she talked about the. There's still some water in her basement. I don't imagine Pat's the only resident of the no. Lower Mainland right now. Still got water issues in the basement right this moment. Right. So uh, you you got to go get a pump and pump you, that stuff out. You, but then yeah. then you run into making sure that it's all gone, Stephen. Because if you don't clean it and dry it all, you're going to get mold issues, and that never seems to take very long. <laughs> so what do you get after you get the water out to get to step two and dry it out? Well, you're going to use dehumidifiers, you know, and things like this. There's restoration companies that are great, great guys that go in there and they work with the insurance companies. And if they don't, they'll work with you one-on-one at what it's going to take. They're going to be cutting out drywall. They're going to be taking out anything that absorbed any moisture, carpet, and what have you has to be gone from the house. Then they're going to use dehumidifiers to dry the, dry the entire building out, take the moisture out of it. But you still need to solve the problem as to what caused the problem. Right, of and course. it's really imperative to find, find that line that travels to the city. There's going to be one. There's going to be a connection. We need to expose it. We need to install proper cleanliness. We need to jet it, blast it, and video inspect it to ensure it's clear. And, of course, all of this rain, this intense dump of rain that we've received, has been complicated in terms of where it's going to go and drain off by the fact that there's still a lot of leaves around uh, clogging drapes. That's that not well, been one bit of help at all, has it? Just like just like Pat's situation there, you have a sloping traveling down to your back door. Usually there's a little trough along the bottom door if you're going to be in that style of structure. And then once a bunch of leaves go down, that's really making a mess of the, of the ability for the system to flow properly. You know, well, It's about making water flow through the system without a backup. Okay, uh, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on the cell co- uh, connection. And uh, out of town, toll free to one 399 I wanted to just talk to you. We're talking about basements and, and drainage and all of that stuff. A lot of people, a lot of people in Metro Vancouver, people who move here from other parts of the country, are frequently stunned at how many of us live in homes that cost way too much money that don't have basements. Uh, sometimes we have a crawl space, and other times it's just built on some kind of pad, and that's that. Uh, it's very unusual, given what the rest of the country, we all have basements everywhere else, but not necessarily in Vancouver. How, if at all, does that change the drainage dynamic? Well, there's the, the, the drainage, if you've got a crawl space, you're going to have drain tails. It has to be able to get the moisture 
and has to get the water infrastructure. Otherwise, your your entire basement or your crawl space starts to fill with liquid. Again, it's going to be the same same rules and same regulations as a fully built structure that has has two or three floors. You got to make sure the system's clear. You got to find the exit of exit line and ensure that that line and the line around the structure is clear of anything that's causing problems from um, broken drain towels to root infestation to just simply a lot of dirt and gunk in the line. Is it safe to assume that every property in Metro Vancouver has uh, some kind of connected or, or some kind of link to the city, local city's drainage system? Was that part of the building code when all of these places were put up in the first place? Oh, absolutely. 100%. You can't build a, you cannot build any structure in Vancouver and not have a proper sewer, water, and storm connection. Okay. Now, sewer connections, of course, and yeah. water connections, but it's the storm connection that I'm curious about. Well, there's different, there was, we called, we called combined systems here in Vancouver. Okay. And for many years, they're putting the storm and the, that passing through a sump into the sanitary piping. Now they're starting to look at, you know, separating that. So there's a separate storm system and a separate sewer system. And I, I like that idea. We've done a, a, dug up a couple of wa- water lines and broken sewers here recently where I separated those lines and gave them connections right at the city for the time when the city in, puts that into the infrastructure, creating two separate systems. But right now, a lot of them are tied through sumps and pass through backwater valves and travel to the city through through that. That's where it gets the hydraulic. You've got, you got sewer. Now you're adding in all this liquid water from the, from, 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 from the, the rain. And when you do that, that's where you get the, the, the hydrostatic pressure building on the systems. And you see water mains or you see manholes guising up. Well, I know. We were dri- I was just telling you during yeah. the news break, we were driving yeah. along Low Heat Highway in Coquitlam, right in front of Canadian Tire, almost across from Ikea a few yeah. days ago. Yeah. And the, the part of the road was flooded. And there were a couple of lanes of traffic that you just had. You, had to, you couldn't. The only vehicles that were going through them were the big four by fours with the jacked up uh, chassis and the big tires. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else was getting going around. Yeah. And the reason was there was a, a city water main that had turned into a fountain. It was actually gushing water about 10 feet up in the air. Was it a water main or was it the storm system? Oh, I'm sure it was a storm <laughs> system, but it looked <laughs> yeah. like a water main. Yeah, it, you know, it's unfortunate. It's, it, you know, we had gravity here. We used to our advantage and, and size of the, the infrastructure below the ground to, to hold that set. We've also using cistern methods on and North and West Vancouver that'll hold great quantities of liquid before it discharges it and so stops that from happening. But if the systems are on pumps... Uh, and powered, like we talked about, uh, one gentleman who called, who in regards to his place, had, had been starting to flood because he, his power was out from trees. Right. Well, the same thing applies to these stations. If these stations lose their power, where's the water going to go? Sure. It's going to start guising up everywhere, and then they got to bring in tanker trucks and other pumps and start uh, trying to get rid of the, of the actual liquid itself. Interesting. Now, the last two Christmases that you've been our present to our listeners yep. have been decidedly different from this one, Stephen, and, the, and, and it's been all about the temperature. Right. Uh, yes, we've had unbelievable amounts of rain, but it's six degrees outside right now. The grass is green. The last two Christmases, it's been sub-zero and a lot of snow and ice and we've had a very different conversation about dealing with real Canadian winter realities. Now, it's still only December. The first day of winter was yesterday. I think it would be wise of us not to assume that we're going to get away scot-free this year. So let's talk about some really basic preparing the house 
and around the house for that cold snap that is pretty much inevitable. Okay. Well, we're going back, going to go back to the same conversations we've had in the last two years. And I still see the naughty people out there. I just, I just visited a home uh, on Friday. Hey, by and- the way, he uses the word naughty because last <laughs> night he was Santa at a church, a children's festival. So that, that's a good Santa <laughs> adjective. So the naughty people. The naughty Sorry people. to interrupt, but I, that's a, such a weird word, except at Christmas time. Yeah, I use that naughty quite a bit. All right. So talk about the naughty people and what they're not doing. The naughty people are getting a little lazy out there. And basically, they're leaving their hoses attached to their homes. If we drop the sub-zero temperatures tomorrow, and if they've got a frost-free hose bib or anything, that it's going to freeze the hose. It's going to freeze the ice and push it back into the structure. You need to disconnect your hoses right now. Get it off the house now. And if you, if you have an internal shutoff on the house, turn it off, open the outside, let the liquid drain out. Don't give uh, Jack Frost the opportunity to do some damage damage to your structure. You won't even know about it. If you have a frost-free hose bib, the ice gets forced back inside. You're going to say, well, there's no big deal. If that freezes, it'll split the light brass tubing that travels through. And then next spring, when you are watering the grass or washing your car, you're going to be washing the inside of your basement at the same time with the same amount of water. And all it takes is, uh, before the, the cold snap, simply going out and disconnecting the garden hose from the outside tap. Outlet. And That's right. And shutting off any internals. There's two different types of outside hose bibs. One's called frost-free, which it's self-close. You close it. It's got a stem that goes into the structure and holds it so you can leave it as it is. It flows to the outside. Then we've got the older homes. The older homes have what they call a a hose bib. That will travel inside to to another shutoff, and that shutoff has a stop and drain. You have to open the drain, let the liquid roll out, and then you open the faucet on the outside, and you leave for the winter, and guaranteed you won't freeze. If you don't have either one, here we're back to Home Depot again. Right, right. We've got the styrofoam cups with elastic, that have an elastic band that pulls it against the structure and gives it an insulation value to protect it from cold winds. Okay. Uh, so uh, in that case, uh, you, you again, uh, it's all prevention. We're just trying to stay ahead of the costly consequences yes. of not being prepared. And these are inexpensive. Very. Uh, I mean, turning a, disconnecting a garden hose costs you nothing, maybe two <laughs> minutes of your valuable time, and you're home free for the rest of the winter. I That's mean, right. it's just that simple. I wanted to ask you about, perhaps this is an urban myth, right. but on super cold days, and we haven't had one yet, and yep. I cross my fingers and everything else I have, because you know it's going to happen. Uh, but it, it, when we get those sub-zero overnights, is it uh, smart to leave a tap somewhere in the kitchen, usually the kitchen sink, dribbling just a little bit to keep the water in the lines flowing so that it doesn't just sit and freeze? Yes. That's, that's, it's not an urban myth. I've come from the cold north. I come from where, where the water lines are six to eight feet deep and some are down 20 feet deep. When you come to Vancouver, it's a joy because it's so shallow. Sure. Yeah. But with that shallow and in, in the easy cost of repairing, it depends on who you hire, but in the easy cost of repairing or replacing those lines, they're very shallow. And if you get no snow coverage and we get a strong cold drop in temperature minus 10 overnight we're going to have a lot of cold uh, calls with frozen pipes right and you can always leave and best thing to do is don't leave it in sink the tap and sink running leave in the bathtub that oh, really? a bigger vessel. So if you have it trickling in the bathtub, that means the water's always moving. As long as water moves, it doesn't freeze. And that's coming underneath the water main where you may park your car. If your water main travels under, I guarantee it. A lot of places I've seen so far, 12 inches down, you know, and, uh, and that can freeze very quickly. Okay. So it, just, it's not a bad idea to yeah. have overnight some... Yeah. 
tap in the house left a little. You don't have to be gushing. No. Just, just enough that there's a water flow. That's right. You can do that. It's not, it's not really going to be uh, Vancouver. I don't think it's in that cold. It's just some people who will know their homes, know that this has happened to them before. Right, right. Those people need to be aware of it and have the water trickling if it's going to be like that. Remember, we're also, we're also clocking on that water meter every time that we open those taps. You're paying per liter. Ah, okay. Uh, We only have a couple of seconds left. Uh, You uh, were the subject of my friend John Daly and his back on the beat. Uh, And I saw you on television on the national news a couple of months ago. You went to a vacation on an airline that you were, you had taken some form of medication before you, between flights and you got on the plane and you fell asleep. And then they, they, they wouldn't let you travel because they thought you were some kind of medical risk. And, and I, I remember seeing the story on TV going, hey, wait a second, that's Stephen. Uh, and so we told, and of course, Ben produces John Daly's show too. So yeah. he was a, a natural to come and find out. How did that all resolve itself? Did, did, did the airline, I believe it was WestJet, but I could be wrong. Uh, did they ever uh, apologize or did you ever nope. work out some kind of uh, amicable solution? No, that's it's going to court. It's, oh, really? Uh, I'm, I'm just absolutely blessed to be able to come here today with just using a cane and uh, I'm off the walker and out of a wheelchair and I've got my voice back and I can speak again. I do have some difficulty with so, some damage to the right side of my brain from the from the stroke. And the stroke, of course, the listeners, was a type 1 diabetic stroke right. where all the organs shut down. And uh, I'm just blessed to be here and and, uh, and been breathing. But uh, WestJet has done absolutely nothing. They've uh, they have not apologized. They stand firm on the ground of, a, of an airline stewardess uh, has the better... Um, medical background than nurses, paramedics, and the head of uh, Burnaby ER. Well, obviously, this is a story we're going to follow. If it's going to court, uh, we have more than a few reporters in our newsroom (laughs) who love to cover good court cases. So best of luck to you going forward. And thanks so much. I'm glad that you're as well as you are and were able to join us again for our third consecutive Christmas, Stephen Bennett. It's just a thrill to have you back. And it's good to see you doing well. I know you're heading up to the Okanagan for Christmas with your family. All the very best to them and to you from Ben and Tim and me. Thank you very much and Merry Christmas to all the Vancouver listeners. And once again, our thanks to Stephen Bennett from Mid-City Plumbers for taking time from his busy schedule to join us for the third time as our Christmas present to you. And thanks for your calls. That was fun. And we're not done yet either. Our Christmas show this year includes some free legal advice as attorney Scott Payne from CBM Lawyers will join us in studio to talk about all sorts of issues, including business and real estate, residential Tennessee, and employment law. Yes, if you're messed up already at the company Christmas party, Scott may have some advice for trying to hang on to that job. That's right after the news. Time now for Duly Noted, and this time around, our producer Ben Dooley has a look at the first test of the new impaired driving law. Thanks, Sterling. Kelowna ICMP set up a check stop on Bernard Avenue on Thursday night looking for holiday revelers who may hop behind the wheel. Here's Constable Beth Pates. Yes, we check every traffic stop. We check for impairment by drugs or alcohol. As of December 18th, police have the authority to demand breathalyzer tests from any drivers they pull over. Any driver who refuses to take the test can be charged. Kelowna RCMP currently check for signs of drug impairment during check stops, but do not have any way to test drivers by the side of the road. Check stops will continue into the weekend in Kelowna, according to RCMP. 
I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thank you, Ben. And, of course, next weekend on the program, we'll have lawyer Kyla Lee from the uh, group back with us, the Acumen Law Group, and uh, she specializes in impaired tri- jar- driving charges and the defendants, people accused. And, of course, these new laws have only been around for the better part of two weeks, and Kyla will have lots more information on that for you. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. The Vancouver International Airport has welcomed its 25th millionth annual passenger, about two years before it was expected. YVR told us this week the accelerated achievement is due to a strong B.C. economy and three years of air service development under Connect YVR's five-year program. Our airport is forecast to serve 29 million passengers by 2020, and it's estimated to hit 32 million passengers by 2022. Currently, YVR serves 127 destinations, but by 2020, the airport will expand to serve 144. The airport, which is the second busiest in Canada, contributes over $16 billion in economic output, with 24,000 jobs on Sea Isle in Richmond alone, and over 100,000 jobs across B.C. Oh, and this busy holiday season, YVR is seeing upwards of 90,000 people a day. December 21st is known as the busiest shopping day of the year. The volume of retail business activity yesterday was expected to be even bigger than Black Friday. Debit and credit processor Moneris says its data even revealed which hour of the day was busiest. That was 2 o'clock Eastern, 11 in the morning yesterday. Today, of course, as any of us can testify, is also super busy as people rush around to get their gifts ahead of Christmas Day, especially now that it's too late for online gifts to be delivered. Try to be patient when trying when finding a parking spot. That is that is taxing. Uh, Moneris also says that sales on Black Friday this year were up by seven percent compared with 2017. So a similar spike was expected for yesterday. As you dash around taking care of Christmas business, don't forget to lock your parcels in your trunk and keep the vehicle clear of reasons for the bad guys to break into it. And that is our first hour of Vancouver Consumer, produced by Ben Dooley. Tim French is at the controls today. We'll take a break for the news to three, and then we'll return with lawyer Scott Payne joining us in studio with all sorts of advice on a wide variety of legal topics, including employment and residential tenancy issues. Send us your questions to sterling at cknw.com or tweet them to us at VanConsumer. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.